Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Take This Job and Love It. This is a podcast from Yale's Office of Career Strategy, aimed at helping you through the various aspects of finding a job and building a career that you love. My name is Claire Zala, and I'm a junior in Yale College. I work with the Common Good and Creative Careers team to support Yale students interested in pursuing careers that make a difference and encourage creativity. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Alyssa Freeland. Alyssa is the author of three novels, including her most recent, The Floating Feldmans, a wild, funny drama about a family that reunites for a cruise to celebrate the matriarch's 70th birthday. She is also a collaborator on First Street, a serialized audiobook about four young clerks on the Supreme Court. She attended Yale College and has returned to Yale this semester as a professor to teach the residential college seminar, Contemporary Novel Writing. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. Alyssa, before you started writing novels, you attended Columbia Law and worked as an associate at a law firm. Could you tell me about how you switched to novel writing and about the transition from a more structured work life to a creative, artistic career? Definitely. So I've been a writer since the time I was probably six or seven. This is really, the career I'm in now is the one that I fantasized about when I was a little kid, you know, playing dress up. And if anyone asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would have said writer. Writer, journalist, TV broadcasting, something in that field. And then I applied to Yale, got into Yale. Sticking with the writing, I started working on the Yale Daily News as a freshman, loved my community there, then you know became a beat reporter, then moved on to becoming managing editor in my junior year. And so I really was Alyssa the writer. The problem was that I was also Alyssa, the very type A student that needs a lot of structure and needs to have a very defined career that when I'm at a cocktail party or when I run into my parents' friends or my old principal and they say, what are you doing? I am someone who, for whatever reason, needed the security of saying, I'm in law school or I'm working at a law firm. There were also the financial implications. Law school is very expensive and I took out loans, but I knew that the minute I graduated, especially from a school like Columbia, there was going to be a hundred, I think at the time I graduated, my salary was like $160,000 a year, which felt pretty appealing after uh, not earning any money for years and certainly more appealing than, you know, working at Starbucks all day to then go sit in a Starbucks to write my novel and be exhausted and have to move back home when I was desperate to continue to live on my own. So it was really a combination of like the fear factor of not knowing how to make a career as a writer and also the financial reality that led me to law school. And I worked, I so I went to Columbia I worked uh, I worked for three years at a major law firm in New York. I did make a ton of money, but I never enjoyed what I was doing at all. And it was in my spare time at the law firm that I thought I would try to write a novel. And I wrote, I mean, I didn't have a lot of spare time, so I probably wrote like one or two chapters of my first novel, very raw. But I just wanted to see if I liked the quietness of sitting alone in front of my computer writing creative pieces, which is pretty different than the Yale Daily News stuff. And I really loved it. And I I took a leap of faith and I left and I wrote my first book. I think that's definitely a narrative that many Yale students can appreciate the idea of feeling like you have to have a justification for who you are and what you're doing all the time. And especially for creatives and and writers like ourselves, um, it's difficult, like you said, take that leap of faith. Once you did 
have that novel and that that manuscript, and let's say at this point it was, it was very polished, um, what was the step, what was the path to publication from there? Because, you know, at this point you've kind of kept your work to yourself. Um, did it also take a big leap of faith to, to push it out for publication, or was that just always the plan? I definitely was never just writing for myself. The goal was always that I was going to try to get it published. I really wanted uh, to have it published. I never was like viewed it as like a diary or anything like that. I, I wanted it out in the world. I didn't know how to make that happen because I think a, like in a lot of creative fields and a lot of self-directed fields, you don't quite know. It's not like an application appears like fill out this 10-page application on how to be a writer. It's not like that. So what I ended up doing was reaching out to basically anyone I knew who was a writer and who had had a book published or who worked in the publishing industry. So maybe they were a literary agent or they worked as a very junior editor. And even if it wasn't like in adult fiction, which is what I was writing, I would meet with I met with someone who only publishes business books for for Simon & Schuster. I met with a children's literary agent because I thought anybody might have something valuable to say or someone valuable to introduce me to. It's not fun. It's a lot of asking for favors. It's a lot of being public about your work before it's received the validation that it's good enough to be published. There's really no way to sugarcoat that other than be confident, be brave, Google any number of successful writers and read their own rejection stories, which is like very inspiring. When you remember that J.K. Rowling was turned down by 100 publishers, it makes you feel a little bit better when your first or second or 10th or 12th rejection rolls in. Because publishing is, you know, it's like they say beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Like it really only takes one. Like every pot has its cover. You know, there's lots of expressions like that, but you just need one person. You need to find one agent who believes in your work. And then that agent then has to find one publisher who believes in your work. So getting an agent is the first necessary step to getting a book published because most publishers don't look at manuscripts that just come unsolicited. They have to come through an agent submitting it. So you have to have two, you know, big check marks happen for you. And it can be a very long, daunting process. But I think it's good to remember, one, what you were saying about the rejection process and just how everybody kind of has to swallow that. But also, I think sometimes we have this idea in our heads of the writer sitting alone in the cabin in the woods, working on their own, and, and somehow the book happens. I think it's really important to remember that step between having the book and building your network and making professional contacts in order to get to that space. I remember one person I went out to coffee with. She had had one book published. She's one year older than me. And she's a Harvard grad that also, that after Harvard went to NYU Law School and did the same thing as me. She uh, worked as an attorney, wasn't very happy, pivoted to becoming a novelist, had a lot of success. And she was just basically where I wanted to be, but a little bit ahead. And I remember I had coffee with her and she was very helpful and she gave me great advice. And then she invited me to come along with her to a book party because we both live in Manhattan. There's a big community of writers. And we walked in and she just knew everybody. And I was like, how is this possible? And she said, you'll see, you'll see. Or maybe at this point when we went to the party, I had already had my first book published, I think. We stayed very good friends. And she was on her second or her third book. 
And I remember feeling like I'll never meet those contacts. I'm just too shy. I don't, I'm not going to make so many friends in the industry. And she's like, yes, you will. It's just that you're a couple books behind me. And now that I'm working on my fourth book and I've done a lot of other projects, I walk into Barnes & Noble for a book reading or an independent bookstore for a book reading. And I'm the one who knows 30 people in the room. And she was really right. It is you don't have colleagues in the same way you would if you worked at, you know, Google or you worked at um, an investment bank. But there is still a very strong professional community. And leaping off of that question of the professional community, you mentioned that having an agent is absolutely essential to meeting the publisher and getting your book out there. Um, but there has been in recent years a big conversation about uh, self-publishing versus publishing through a traditional publisher like mm-hmm. Simon & Schuster or Harper. Um, do you, where do you fall on that side of the argument? So I think this kind of harkens a little bit back to my personality and wanting things to fall into neat boxes. And so for me, traditional publishing was just a more appealing approach. There was something to be said for the stamp of approval and feeling that a major publisher wanted me and wanted to publish my work. Um, That said, I've written a children's book now, and I don't really have the time and the resources to track down an agent that specializes in that or a publisher. And and I may just, I I have no um, smugness about self-publishing. Like I would consider self-publishing that because I love it and I want to see it out in the world. And I don't necessarily have the patience to try to go through the traditional process um, like I did for my regular adult fiction. Um, Yeah, I think self-publishing is very good for a certain type of person. I think you have to be incredibly organized and incredibly tenacious because you have to find someone to design your cover. You have to research distribution channels. There's more work. Now, granted, if your book is a success, you get to keep a lot more of the profits because you're not sharing with a publishing house. But self-publishing is taking on a lot more work. And it's complicated. I mean, little bookstores, they're all over the place. They have relationships with the major publishers. They get visited. They get their lists every year. They buy from that. If you're on your own, it's much harder to get your book to appear in any of those stores, though I believe selling it online is, you know, certainly a much more um, manageable feat. And speaking about that, um, that idea of really having to work for your novel and, and, and work to put your book out there and build those relationships, um, creators in modern times have to spend lots of energy on branding and self-marketing, um, perhaps by maintaining social media accounts like you do. Everybody should go follow her on Instagram like I do um, and attending book Thank events, you. of course. Um, I do wh- have a great Instagram. She does have a great Instagram. I love your stories. Um, what advice do you have for beginners who are trying to define their personal brand? I I actually don't love the phrase brand and I'm okay. trying when it comes to what I do. I think I don't resent a lot of writers that sort of if you picture the log cabin in the woods, Ralph Waldo Emerson, like you you feel like, you know, Thoreau, like they they don't want to put themselves out there and I love writing so much, and especially because I'm largely a humor writer, that for me, I like that self-expression of Instagram. 
I like the chance to be funny in my stories and think of funny hashtags and make people laugh. And I'm very real on Instagram. And I don't feel pressure to only do stuff about my books. I put a ton of stuff about my kids and my husband and my life. And it's a really nice natural outlet for me. Like when I crack a joke to myself and I'm laughing at my own joke, I then I'm like, oh, I'm just going to put it out there on Instagram. So I don't feel like I'm doing it to sell more books and to build a brand. I feel like for me, it's a creative outlet. And I love just like I like getting reader feedback when people email me or contact me. Oh, I loved your book. It was so great. My book club read your book. I love when I get the direct messages back on Instagram, like, haha, or smiley face or this. It like, it keeps me going. It's like a little jolt of electricity. If I can put something funny or meaningful out into the world and people respond to it, I really like that. So I'm not really curating a brand. I will say that there is some pressure once you're in the writing community to promote the work of other authors. And that part is not so great because I love to promote my friends and I love to promote books that I love. But sometimes there's like a time pressure element to it and I haven't even had a chance to read the book yet. And so then I, I feel like I'm putting out a post that's like, everyone, congratulations. Jane Smith's third novel is out today. But I haven't even had a chance to read it yet. I just feel like one hand washes the other and one, you know, back scratched. You know, you yeah. understand. I'm mixing metaphors. But <laughs> there is like that part I don't love because I want to be genuine about it. And I don't love that there's like so much pressure that we all have to like put each other's work out there before I've even had a chance to say something meaningful about it. Like if I had didn't feel the time pressure and the immediacy of social media, that I might have time to read the book and then choose like a particular quote that resonated with me. And that would feel a lot more authentic. So it's just a really a double-edged sword of, of celebrating your work, but also trying to maintain, you know, your authenticity and, and genuineness with your readership. Yes. I mean, I would love to grow my Instagram audience because I'm sure it would help me sell more books, but I'm not paying for followers and I just have to be patient and hope it happens organically. For sure. And now that we've kind of moved on to the, the realm of social media and, and online, um, recently you've branched out of only writing novels to working on the um, serialized, what was the phrase you used to explain it? It's a serialized audiobook called First Street. Right, and it's about the four clerks who work on the Supreme Court. Um, what have you learned by kind of working, traversing the two mediums? Um, and do you think that, you know, especially this kind of flexibility is an important skills from, skill for modern writers to develop? I really like being able to go between formats. And so First Street is a book that I wrote with five other authors. That was really fun. I mean, that was not just like having professional colleagues in the sense that I live in New York and there are a ton of other writers. These were legitimate colleagues. We were partners on this project, and it was really fun. It was the first time I'd had real coworkers since I worked at the law firm. And we all live across the country, and the show, the book's creator lives in Canada. We weren't together physically all the time, but we texted all the time. We had lots of conference calls. I really enjoyed that. And... I think like branching out from the novel writing was really fun for me. I've never been much of a essayist. It's just not the format that I respond to the best, but I do like collaboration. I thought that writing for something that would be read either on the phone or only in audio and would lend itself well to sound effects, which they use um, in the book, was a lot of fun. It then led to 
myself and two other people who worked on that who have sold a pilot. The three of us sold a pilot to Amazon, and we're working on a project now where it's just going to be strictly audio, and there's not even any description. So it's like a scripted, almost like an old-fashioned fireside radio show where it's just dialogue and sound effects. So if it's relevant to the story that the character is wearing a pink skirt, you can't describe her pink skirt. You have to have a character say, I love your pink skirt. You know, every single thing has, that is relevant to the story has to happen in dialogue, which is a new challenge for me, like writing a movie. I mean, we use screenwriting software to do it. So for me, like I like to keep it interesting and the novel writing is fun, but it does get like slightly repetitive. I'm now working on, I've just completed my fourth novel. I have to start my fifth now. Yes, they have different topics, but I'm not really learning a new craft. So I'd rather spread my wings, at least with some side hustles. <laughs> so that kind of innovation is good to keeping you on your toes in your career, but also making sure you reignite that initial spark of, of interest. Yes. Just like it's exciting. It also feels very much like it's keeping with the times. Like novels have been around for a very, very long time, but like serialized auto audiobooks, not so long. Like the podcast craze, pretty recent. You know, it, there's just so much content out there now and in different forms. And I'd rather feel like I'm keeping current and that I'm taking advantage of all the new media that's available. Do you think that in this career, especially a creative career, there's a lot of pressure to remain relevant in topic matter, in form, in the way you relate to your readership? Um, you know, that's a double-edged sword, actually, because the more relevant you are and the more you try to write about things that are happening in the current world, the more you open yourself up to a lot of controversy. I don't know if you've followed at all the American Dirt book that came out. Um, a recent book that was written by an author, Janine Cummings, about the Mexican border crisis. And she it, it set off such a storm. She's not Mexican. And she was telling this story. And there were all these people wanting her publishing contract canceled. And Oprah picked it for her book club. And she picked a very hot topic. And it raised a lot of eyebrows. My most successful book so far is a book that's not so you know, it's topical. It's a it's a perennial topic. It's family dynamics. So I don't and it's sold very well because for like since the dawn of time, people have been having a hard time getting along with their families. So I'm I gravitate more to topics that are sort of everlasting than things that are like exactly in the media today. Not necessarily because I'm controversy controversy shy. It's just that that's what interests me. But in, it's very hard to stay relevant in general just because there's so much out there. Like the amount of quality television, movies, streaming, books, audiobooks, podcasts, like there are not enough hours in the day to listen to it all. So to stand out is really hard. For sure. Um, and if I may ask, so the people um, listening to this podcast are very often students, especially undergraduate students. Um, do you have any steps or advice for young writers, especially writers at Yale, um, who are trying to build or prepare for a creative career? So, I mean, I, I can say what I tell my students, um, which I've been teaching this class about contemporary novel writing, and we do work a lot on technique, but we also talk about the industry and having a future in the industry. You have to read. You can't 
just become a writer unless you're a voracious reader. The quickest, easiest way to learn and get better is by reading. And I think you should be reading a book a week. Good writers are good readers? I think so. I I 100% agree. So I know that there's so much reading that's assigned in college, and the last thing anyone wants to do is read more, but it's for pleasure. It's There's no test at the end. It's the most valuable tool. So read, 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 and figure out your voice through the reading. Um, other than that, when you actually want to pursue a writing career, you just have to reach out to everybody you know who's done it and hear their stories and together through some combination of luck and following their paths and combining their paths, that's how you'll succeed. Awesome. And Alyssa, we're just about out of time, but I do have one question that I'd like to wrap up with. Um, what are your hopes for the future? For my career? For however, you want, to inter- for however you want to interpret that question. <laughs> my hopes for the future. Uh, can I be political? Go for it. That Donald Trump loses. That's all I think about. Not that I'm, I don't know if I can be impartial or partial as a podcast host, but hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for um, coming to the studio today. I really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much. I loved it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Bye. You too.